It really is just such a privilege to be able to share with you all this morning. And just thank you so much, Hilton Jin, for this opportunity. And also a quick shout out to my husband. <laughs> thank you for listening to this over and over the last few days and making sure I get it within 10 minutes. So let's hope that that happens. But um, Hilt just asked me to just give some feedback into the role that I get to play at this church. I am so grateful. It is an honor to be able to work here, and I love coming to work every single day. And my role is called pastoral care, and one of the roles that I get to play within, play, <laughs> do within pastoral care is the absolute privilege of overseeing our counseling ministry. And um, we started it last year, and with the amazing help of Mel and Kerry and counselors to come, we have just seen how this counseling ministry has just grown in the last year, and just seen the, the absolute need within our community to have this ministry. And I just wanted to kind of, yeah, just give a, a brief overview of what our counseling ministry is about, our goal at Open Skies Counseling, and it really is a, uh, to be a space, a safe space, where people can come to feel heard and seen, know that they loved, knowing that there's no judgment, that where they're in that space of just pain or hurt and working through things, that they can come as they are. And... Um, we really want to be able to guide them and help them find, um, you know, their relationship with God, pointing them back to God and using biblical tools um, to support them in their journey. And so that's really kind of um, what we're about in terms of, of Open Skies Counseling. And, you know, part of our role in guiding people back to God is letting them know who He is, that He is ultimately our counselor and our comforter. And um, I just wanted to share two scriptures just revealing, you know, who he is, that in our times of that pain and that hurt, that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he's for us. So in Isaiah 9, verse 6, it says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and in Psalm 34, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. I mean, how good is our God? That is who he is. And we get to just point people back to who our God is, that he can work through us in the counseling sessions, that he is the ultimate counselor. And, you know, it really is such a privilege that we've been able to see people from within our church, you know, coming to counseling and, you know, just finding healing and wholeness. And with permission of, of one of the clients that I was able to, to work with, you know, I remember them coming in their first session and they said, you know, I've lost all hope that the anxiety that I've lived with for so many years could ever go away. And in this process and unpacking this anxiety, she, I remember as we were reflecting back, she said to me that, oh, sorry, get emotional. Um, she's like, I found hope again. That I've been able to identify the roots of the anxiety and that she felt that there was these practical tools that when she faces these situations that she could see that anxiety get less and less every week. And that was just so powerful just to see. And there's so many stories that we could share. But you know what? It's not only just for those within our church that are needing the healing and the wholeness, but we've seen those from outside of our church, those who don't yet know God, who have come in here find it a safe place to be able to open up. And through that, that they've been able to find God find his salvation, his healing power. I've also been able to see those who, you know, once knew God have maybe turned away from God and church and 
in their deepest, you know, their pain and their hurt that they've come back into this place and found healing and wholeness. And so it's been amazing to see that this counseling ministry is, is for really our community within and without. It gets to be, a, you know, a tool to reach those as well. And I just find that that is just such a privilege that we get to play a part in that. And, you know, we don't take it lightly. Every single moment that, you know, each person who comes through our doors, you know, we, we understand that 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 vulnerability and, and how um, hard it is for someone to step in and to, to be vulnerable with us, sharing their deepest, you know, hurts and pains and confusion, and that we get to carry that, that we get to walk that journey with them. It's an absolute privilege. And, you know, I wanted to just share briefly for the last few minutes of, with the word for the year being believe, I wanted to kind of bring back with one of the tools that we use within um, our counseling sessions is helping people to unpack their beliefs. We kind of use a phrase of the story they tell themselves. Because with all of us, We've got certain thoughts that we're thinking which form into these beliefs that sometimes are subconscious. We, we don't actually realize that we're believing this about ourselves. And our beliefs will affect how we're feeling and our feelings will affect how we behave. And so what I would love to do is, with the permission of, of this person, to, to share a story of a, a Christian girl who was in grade 11 who went through counseling and was able to kind of look at the beliefs that she had been believing about herself, about God, and about others. And, you know, kind of the event and the situation taking place is, you know, that there was a lot of pressure, that self-pressure that she had put on herself, you know, with great living exams and going into varsity and just wanting to kind of perform and do well. There was new leadership opportunities. There was you know, kind of a rejection from a, a guy. And so there was all these events that had taken place. And so these beliefs started to form in her mind. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Just this pressure of feeling like people are judging her, and this anxiety starting to kind of develop. But she kept it to herself, thinking no one will understand. People are going to judge her if she speaks out. And so what started to happen was this anxiety, this fear of failure, kind of just this overwhelming sense, which led to kind of a season of depression. And she started to not even recognize herself, started to kind of just be withdrawn, pull back, and she had these beliefs even that, I can't share this. God's, God's even, this thought of, of God um, is, is, is unhappy with her because she should be joyful. So why is she feeling anxiety? Why should be, you know, she shouldn't be feeling these things, feeling like ashamed and guilt. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't tell anyone. I just keep it to myself. And maybe some of you guys might be in that very situation today, having these thoughts and these feelings not knowing if they could open up and share with someone, if they would understand. And that young person was actually me 14 years ago when I went through school. And I remember clearly the moment that I had the courage to open up and to share what was going on, the thoughts that I was thinking and feeling, there was that journey of freedom that started because I realized it was completely opposite to what was going on in my mind. The moment I opened up and started sharing what was going on, they understood. There was a sense of just feeling completely safe, being able to share whatever it is, what I was feeling or thinking. And there was this freedom that started to take place. And, you know, people can 
share whatever it is when you're facing that situation. But when I came to understand that God has given us the ability to take control of what we are believing, that when I realized there were certain lies from the enemy that I had been believing as truth, and what I needed to do was to take ownership and to go, those are lies. Those are not the truth. That is not what God's word says about me. And I had to replace the wrong belief with the right belief according to God's word, according to his truth. And so I really want to encourage you, maybe some of you in the room today, there's certain maybe lies or wrong beliefs that you have been believing about yourself or about situations or even about God and going, does that line up with God's word? Is that God's truth? Because we will actually find it quite difficult to acknowledge God's truth until we can identify the lie that we've believed as truth for so long. And so that really was kind of a, a journey for me of going, I knew God's word. I was a Christian, but I wasn't believing certain parts of God's word for my life and taking ownership of that and walking in that, despite not feeling it at times. And I just want to close off with this story. I really felt um, to share into this passage of scripture from, scripture from Mark 4, verse 37 to 39. It's about Jesus calming the storm. And it says, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And I just wanted to pause there. How many of us, I know for my life, I've had moments where we're facing a storm, where it's maybe a battlefield in our mind or maybe it's external situations. It's unrelenting. You're feeling like you're gonna drown with these thoughts or these feelings. You don't know where to turn. How many of us cried out to God? God, don't you care that I'm going through this situation? God, where are you? Don't you care that I feel like I'm drowning? Don't you care? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. And I just want to close off and saying, often, we want to face things on our own when we're facing a storm. We want to kind of keep it to ourselves, do it our way, do it by ourselves. We were never meant to face the storms of life by just doing it by ourselves. It's through coming to Jesus, believing in who he is, his authority that he's given us in his name, that we can declare, that we can speak to those waves, we can speak to that wind, maybe those wrong beliefs that you've had, to go, silence, be still and experiencing the peace of God. So three things just to wrap up. Know that his name is Wonderful Counselor. Identify that wrong belief and replace it with the right belief according to God's word. And don't fight your storm alone. Jesus cares, and with believing in him, you can silence the storm. Amen. Cue the music. It's good to be here. Thank you so much, Hills and Jin. I really do honor this, and I appreciate being a part of your team. You guys are incredible leaders. Thank you so much. Thank you, Colin. It is amazing sitting under you for all these years, and now I'm here. Okay, look at me now. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Um, but also, I want to take a moment. Can we, can we get that like original with the three of us on the screen, where um, it was me, Jin, and La? 
because um, obviously I'm not spiritual enough because we've got Lauren singing, Jin speaking, and, and I'm playing ping pong. Um, but uh, if you know anything about youth ministry, it's super spiritual to play ping pong. As a youth pastor, you have to play ping pong. You just have to. It's part of the requirements. Um, also, I just wanted to say to Hilt that the same tiger that attacked uh, Colin's jeans a few weeks before also attacked mine. So are we here? I also paid half price for them for all the bullies that are going to ask that question afterwards. I did. Um, but church, it is awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And if you don't know me, my name is Ed and I'm the youth and young adults pastor here. And if you know anything about young people, they make noise. They make noise. We make noise. And uh, so I need a little bit of noise. I need a little bit of feedback. It's what I'm used to. I'm used to kids talking the whole way through a preach. So that's okay. If you want to do that, that's fine. Um, but I want to tell you a story. I grew up in Pantan, and uh, I went to Benjamin Pan Primary. Hey, yo, you know it. Okay. And uh, then I went to Pantan Boys and uh, made me strong. All right. Uh, but when I was in, uh, in primary school, I was a tall, skinny kid with a big head. And uh, I still am, kind of, yeah. I've kind of filled out a little bit, thanks to my wife. But, like, I'm still a tall, skinny kid with a big head. They used to call me Stick Sweet because um, I look like a sucker. All right, that, that's what it was, Stick Sweet. Um, but I'll never forget, I went to grade 8, and uh, I started to fill out a little bit. I was starting to look a little bit better than I did in grade 7. And uh, at the time, my dad lived in Hillcrest, and uh, he was staying with a, with a lady, and she had two daughters. The one daughter was a year younger than me. And so we had this brilliant idea that I will bring a friend over for the weekend, she brings a friend over for the weekend, and we swap friends. We're like, this, this makes the most sense ever. Like, I know a good guy, you know a good girl, and hey, like, let's just see what happens here. Like, so, so this one weekend, I remember it was a Friday night, so just shout out to parents. Make sure your kids are at youth at Friday night, not at home, because stuff happens. Um, and so what happens is we're there on a Friday night and uh, we're at our house and I'm sitting next to this girl and uh, my mate's on that side sitting next to this other girl and, uh, and so like you, you, you know the vibes right so, so, so we're watching this movie a great movie I'm Legend with Will Smith mm, beautiful Will Smith what a man um, but what happens is we're watching this movie also just side note if you like wanting to watch a movie with a girl like, boys, I'm just trying to help you. Just watch a scary one. It's really good. Because then they're like, oh, I'm a little bit afraid. Oh, can I just like... Also, also they're kind of pretending because they watch that movie in their sleep anyway. But like right now, they're just like, oh, yeah. Nah, nah. Okay. But like, so what happens, you're watching this movie and you know the vibe, the popcorn's in the middle and like your hands are touching. Like, <laughs> uh, and, and like, you, you know what's going on. And then, and then there's that move, right? You know, you know the big yawn. You know the yawn, the, the big yawn around the back, okay? And so um, where's Heathcliff Squire? I need him to run up here for a moment. He's going to be my person I'm demonstrating with because um, he's a beautiful man, okay? So you want to stand here? So, so this is what happened, right? So we're standing, sitting next to each other, and I'm like, okay, I got this. Come on, boys. Come on. You know, you know you're hyping yourself up. You're like, okay, we got this. Come on. Okay, also remember, I'm still like lacking confidence. I still have a big head and a skinny body. And so like, I'm here, I'm here right now. And so I'm like, okay, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. I got this. And so then I do it and then I go like this. And this is what happens. And it feels like in its eternity that my arm is on her head, right? And inside, I'm just saying, just move your head. Just move your head. Just move your head. Just move your head. Just, just move your head. And then, honestly, it felt like an eternity later. She turns to me and she says, um, your, your arm's actually hurting my head. 
And so in this moment, I pull out my arm, I move a meter away, thank you, Squire, and I move, I'm like, I'm done. This is not gonna happen. This is the worst moment of my entire life. I feel like I'm so embarrassed. It was the most ridiculous thing. Let me just say, nothing ever happened with that girl because how can you recover from that? How can you recover? There's nothing you can do, okay? Um, but here's what I want to get to this morning, church, is I think a lot of us can feel that way when it comes to telling people about Jesus. A lot of us feel like we need to either suck ourselves up and get hopped up and like, come on, I can bring you to church, we can do it. And we like try and make it into this huge event. Or either we feel like we're going to end up embarrassed and red-faced. We feel like we're going to be rejected or, or, or hurt or we're going to lose a friend or whatever's going to happen because we feel like, oh, this is such a big thing and I, I don't know, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want this issue to happen. And church, I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be that crazy. It really doesn't have to be that crazy because honestly, I think that we, we make this into such a big thing and I think sometimes it's easier for us to make a move on someone than have the courage to make a move for God. That it's easier for us to try and do this stuff instead of saying, you know, God has called me to go out into my workplace, wherever I'm at, at school, at university, at work, in my family, in my community, and I'm meant to reach those people. That's why I'm there. Like he sent us there to reach those people and then we're so reserved sometimes because we're afraid of what's gonna happen. And we're so afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid of being let down. And what actually happens is that I think we replace the importance of someone's eternity with the importance of our perception. That it's more important for me to look good. It's more important for me to be a part of the, part of the boys. It's more important for me to, to be in the in crowd. It's more important for me to be liked in my workplace than it is the fact that they aren't going to know Jesus. And this, and this morning, I really want to lean in here. And, and I really believe that, that there's an awesome way that I think that we can reach, reach our community and reach the people around us. That's easy. That's simple. And we're going to look at, at this chapter and it comes from uh, John 1, and it's super easy, super simple. And uh, this is a moment where Jesus is inviting people to be his disciples, okay? This is where he's stepping up and inviting people to be his disciples. It's going to come up on the screen, and this is what it says. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from, wow, this is where Pantan hurts me, Bethsaida, okay? Wow. All right, uh, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, explained Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Love him, Tlingi. If you know him, you know him. All right, come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son, the king of Israel. And I want to take two things from this, from this chapter right now. And the first one is this, come and see. Can I tell you that that is the easiest way to bring people to Jesus? Come and and see. I love what happens here is that Philip meets Jesus. He has this encounter with God and he's like, okay, I need to go find a friend. He goes and he finds Nathaniel and he tells Nathaniel about Jesus and Nathaniel responds, Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? And, and isn't that the response sometimes when we invite people? They're like, no, there's no way. I know Christians. Christians are hypocrites. I know the church. The church, the church sucks. 
I know, I, and, and they respond as if they know something, but often our response to that is to argue. No, but you don't know this one. No, but you don't know, but no, but, 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 no, but it's different this time, and we want to fight it, but, but I love Philip doesn't fight it. He just says, just come see. Just come see. Just come see for yourself. And I think, church, a lot of us, I, I, I truly believe that believe this, that if a lot of us just stop trying to preach and point fingers and, and tell our family and tell our friends and say, you should and but you, but why are you, if we just stopped doing that and we just started saying, come and see, we would see a lot more people come to Jesus. If we stop pointing fingers and we just said, come and see, have your own experience, come and see, because the next point is this, and this is what's so important is that Jesus will do the rest. Jesus will do the rest. All we have to do is bring them to Jesus and Jesus will do the rest. That's what I love about the scripture is that what happens is that Nathaniel steps into the place wanting to reject because he's like Nazareth, nothing can happen, good can come from Nazareth, meets Jesus, has an encounter, and now he's a disciple. And that's what's beautiful, church, is that as soon as we step into the place and we can invite people to come to know God, Jesus will do it. He will do it because the reality is he cares more about them than we do. He does. And so all we have to do is say, come and see. And I want to end with this story. So in 2019, we started uh, youth at the start of the year with all of 10 kids. Pumping youth ministry. It was beautiful. We had more leaders than youth. It was amazing. All right. It was pretty much a, a young adult's event with a couple of kids. That's what it was. But like... But what happens is we start with 10 and we end the year strong. We had 50 that came on summer camp. We were super stoked. We were pumped up. Then we start 2020 with 50 again and we're having the best mo momentum ever, all right? And then COVID. Lockdown happens. Lockdown, no youth. And if you know anything about youth ministry, the, the trick to youth ministry is just keep going. Because momentum builds everything. Kids bring kids, numbers bring numbers. And so as long as you keep going, as long as you've got that happening, then you can make it happen. And so we lock down, and then we start up again at the end of lockdown when it opens up. And, um, and I'm like, we're going to have five again. We, it just is what it is. And, and legitimately, we, had, we probably started with like 15 or 20 kids at the end of lockdown. And so we start up, and we start pushing. We're doing our things. We're trying to make it happen, trying to make it happen. And then what happens is that there's three kids that decide that they're gonna change everything. And so they invite 20 kids to youth. They make WhatsApp groups, they put it all over their statuses, they do everything they can, and they decide, you know what, we're gonna impact our schools. And so they invite these kids, and let me tell you, over three weeks, our youth tripled. We went from 20 to 60, and now, this year, we're having hundreds of kids coming through our doors. Every week, people are giving their lives to Jesus because someone decided that they would say, come and see. Church, imagine for a moment that if any one of us just brought one person to church, our church would double. If we just brought one person, our church would double. But not only that, our community would change. Our environments would change. Our schools would change. The workplaces would change. Everything would change. And all it takes is us to say, come and see. And I want to end by saying this. Just like our youth, not because of them preaching, not because of them doing great things with God, not because we prayed 70 times a day or read the whole Bible, but because they decided their friend's salvation mattered more than their reputations, they dared to say, come and see. Thank you. Cue the music. Thank you, Cole and Hilt, for giving me this opportunity this morning. <laughs> a couple months ago, I preached a message in uh, my very first message in Open Chapel, 
and um, Hilt and Carl thought it would be really appropriate for me to share that message again with some of you because probably the majority of you wouldn't have heard it. So sorry for those of you who have. Sometimes good to be reminded. And, um, and, so, and also just with the start of our new series on God's favor, and that's going to be starting next week, um, we really just thought this message would, would be appropriate. So at the beginning of this year, I was really just praying and just asking God to give me a word, a thought, a, a something, a mission, a statement, a vision, whatever, for this year. And after a few days, he literally just dropped in my spirit, expect the unexpected. And so... I have titled my message this morning, Expect the Unexpected, because it's something that he's really been stirring within me. And so my heart is just to encourage you and to enlarge your faith and to be expectant about what God can do in and through your life this year and in and through our church this year. Okay, so what is expectation? It's a strong belief that something will happen or a feeling that good things are going to happen in the future. So you see, there's a difference between believing God can and believing God will. We've got our will, uh, our belief uh, wall out in the foyer there, and I think a lot lot of you have written down your requests and your prayers because you believe God can, but do you believe that he will? And expectation is believing that God will. And you know, when a lady is pregnant, you often refer to her, it's a bit of an old-fashioned term, but you refer and you say she's expecting. And I had the privilege of expecting four babies, uh, being pregnant four times. And you know, at the beginning of your pregnancy, you take a test and all, you you know you're pregnant because you've taken a test. There's no really, no other symptoms, you know, you, you don't really look pregnant or anything. But you know that in nine months' time, your miracle, your baby, you haven't seen it yet, you haven't met it yet, but you know you're expecting that miracle in nine months. And during those nine months, we didn't live our lives like nothing was gonna happen and nothing was changing. We prepared for it. We prepared for our miracle. We prepared for our baby. We read books. We bought dummies and nappies for days and cots and bum cream and dummies and um, the bath. And we read books and we prepared the nursery and we chose a name. And I prepared myself physically too. I ate well and I exercised because I wanted my body to be strong and healthy and ready for delivery because I was expecting in nine months, I was expecting my baby. So when you have an expectation, you give birth to what you are expecting. I was expecting my baby and I gave birth to that baby. And you know, I'd always wanted four kids. Hilt knew that from the time he met me, didn't you? As a teenager, I knew I always wanted four babies. And so we had our three very quickly and close together, and life was wild and hectic and exhausting and all of those things, as many of you parents know. And, um, and so we had our three, and I was like, I remember Sophia was two weeks old, and I said, please don't tell me this is the last baby I'm, I'm having. And he just looked at me as if I was, like, nuts. And so um, a few, like a year and a half went by, and he still wasn't keen to have a fourth baby. But on this particular day, I was in my complex that we were living in, and I had my three little kitties on the driveway, and there was a new family to the hood, and they had four children. And they came along, and my kids were playing with them. And one of the, the little babies, or the little toddler's name, was Jonah. And at that time, I remember thinking, wow, that's such a nice name. I haven't heard that name before. I've never met a Jonah. There's lots of Joshes and Davids and Marks and Matthews, but I've never met another Jonah. That's, that's really cute and really nice. And literally, 
like a moment or so later, I felt God just drop into my spirit, like, you, you're going to have a Jonah. You're going to have a Jonah. And so when I um, obviously, you know, kept on approaching the subject of having another baby with Hilton, he wasn't so keen, I was like, no way, Jose, I'm having my Jonah, because God, God had, had God had planted that seed in my heart, and I believed. I believed him. I believed that I was going to receive it. So all Hilt needed to do was his part, you know, and plant his seed. So, <laughs> so eventually, eventually, after three and a half years, I was pregnant with my fourth baby. And we chose, like we did with all of our kids, and we never found out um, what they were. We waited until the day that they were born. And, um, but the whole time, that whole pregnancy, we really felt we were having a boy, and we only had one name, and that name was Jonah. And sure as nuts, the day came, and our Jonah was born, and now he's eight years old, nearly nine. So when you have an expectation, you give birth to what you are expecting. So whether we know it or not, we're all expecting something. We expect the sun to rise in the morning. When you got in your car to come to church, you expected that you put your key in the ignition and it would start. When you sat down on your chair, you expected that it would hold you up. Some of you are expecting to find a husband and a wife. When you came here, you expected to have some worship and a good word and some great coffee. But the question is not if we're expecting, but what are you expecting? And when you pray... Do you really expect God for that miracle in your finances, in your marriage, in, for salvation for your family, for restoration? Are you expecting the breakthroughs to come? Or do we sometimes find ourselves kind of playing that victim card? Well, mm, nothing good ever happens to me. I'm not going to get the job. I'm not going to overcome this addiction. I'm expecting to get the local flu. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful and I'm expecting to get COVID. And you live small-minded, and we pray safe prayers, and we don't expect much because we think that the God of the universe, the God of the impossible, won't answer our prayers. And so we pray these small little safe prayers so that we won't get disappointed. But the truth is, if you don't expect much, you may just miss out on all that God has planned for you and, that, and what he wants to do in and through your life. Because why? God meets us at our expectations. Wherever your level of expectation is at, that is where God is going to meet you. So today I want to ask you, where is your level of, of expectation at? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Because wherever that is, that is where God is going to meet you. And expectation is not just positive thinking. It's our faith being released. Many of us have faith, but we have no expectation that God will actually come through. And we've written these prayers on the wall, but are we expecting God to act on our behalf, really and truly? And sometimes the thing is we, we have an idea in our mind of the time frame that we would like these prayers answered by, but sometimes we just have to wait patiently and expectantly for God to come through in his time. And I just believe the key to seeing our expectations come to pass is, is the wait. Like I'm a visual person, so in my mind I see it like a, like a timeline. So there's, there's this moment where our prayers are presented to God. They go up, they're written on the wall, and then there's this wait. There's this period before we might see an answer and breakthrough and things come to pass. But it's how we wait that is important, and what we do during the wait, that is important. So I want to ask you, 
Is your weight building anticipation and faith? Or is your weight creating discouragement, disillusionment, and doubt? Isaiah 30, 18 says, so the Lord must wait for you, for you to come to him, so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. God is looking to be good for you. You know, guys, we serve a faithful and good God. Do you believe that? Okay. So then do you expect his faithfulness and his goodness in your life? I just think of the Saxon in Australia who, who asked us to write those requests on the wall. And I really believe that they, they were expecting that God would be faithful and, and good and he would come through for them, and he has. To wait is to look and long for God to show up at any minute. True waiting is not passive, but it's actively expecting and pressing in. Psalm 5 verse 3 says, David says, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. The Amplified says, I watch and wait for you to speak to my heart. That expectancy is your faith being released. And if we're believing for anything less than extraordinary, dare I say, then it doesn't take faith. And so I'm just quickly going to um, share six points as I close. Um, just as you're going through that waiting period, to, to just six things just to consider and to, and to be active in doing while you wait for God to come through for you. Number one, speak to God. The Bible says we are bring, to bring our requests uh, before him, as I just read. Pray bold prayers, and he's eagerly waiting to be good for you. Speak to others. Surround yourself with like-minded people. People are going to encourage you. When I was pregnant, I went to Agani. I discussed my concerns with him. I asked him questions. We asked other people who had walked the same journey with us. Um, we prepared ourselves for that. Um, speak to yourself. That's also very important. Encourage yourself. What words are you telling yourself? There's power in the words that you speak. Life and death is in our tongue. Um, number four, trust his timing. You're going to have to learn to wait patiently. Good things come to those who wait. Um, by the end of my pregnancy, I was so over it. it was nine months, all my, all my babies were late. And I remember the one day with, when I was waiting for my second baby to arrive, I decided I was going to do star jumps to bring on labor. And so here I am with my big belly doing 100 star jumps. And guess what? He didn't arrive. He didn't come. But all I got was a really sore, achy tummy the next day. <laughs> because my baby was going to be born when he was ready to be born. Okay, number five, sacrifice. God may require you to give up some things as you wait. He may require you to sow some finances. He might require you to sow your time and your talents as you wait. He might just require you to make some sacrifices. And number six, believe. Be on the lookout for opportunities. Be active in your wait. Believe it's going to happen and act like it's going to happen. And I'll close with this. Psalm 39 verse 7 in the Amplified Version says, And now, Lord, for what do I expectantly wait? My hope, my confident expectation is in you. So I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you feel expectant. I want you guys to be stirred. I want your faith to be stirred. I want you to be enlarged and excited for God to do awesome things in and through your life this year.